Play and laughter is such a powerful tool to reduce feelings of anxiety. I'm a huge advocate of using humour and play to boost mood and reduce anxious feelings. I know many people who've transformed their anxiety just by focusing on play and laughter alone. I recently recorded an interview with Charlie Hone, who's a marketing strategist for several New York Times bestsellers, and he's the author of a new book called Play It Away. I really liked his book because its basic premise is how to use play to snap out of an anxious state of mind. If you suffer from burnout at work, I think you'll find this interview particularly interesting. Here's the interview, and I hope you get something from it. Well, Charlie, it's great to have you on the call today. Um, I'm really glad you took some time to talk to us. My pleasure, Barry. Thanks for having me. You know, Charlie, I thought it might be good to just dive in straight away and... um, why don't you tell us about your first experience with anxiety, maybe your first panic attack? Uh, yes, my, my first panic attack, a delightful memory to recall. Um, so, like, my first panic attack I had in my apartment in San Francisco, um, in my room, it was this feeling that my my left arm started going numb. I I suddenly became very aware of my heart, and it was how hard it was beating, and it was beating so hard I could actually hear it. Yeah. And um, I didn't exactly hyperventilate, but I I was just freaking out. I I broke out into a cold sweat, and I just kind of instinctually laid on the floor. Uh, in the fetal position, like wondering whether I should call an ambulance because I didn't know if I was going to die because in my head there was just these two pounding thoughts just telling me I was going crazy mm-hmm. or, that I, or that I was crazy and that I was going to die. Like and those I, two thoughts just kept playing. Is that the first time you had ever experienced anything like that or, or had there been bills up to a panic attack before? Um, I, I think it was, I think it was slowly building toward that point and I was not in aggressive denial about it, but I was kind of resisting it and I was, uh, was trying to work my way through it. I was trying to kind of tough it out. Yeah. And, um, and that was really when the first time when, uh, I was like, man, I have a serious problem that I don't know what to do anymore. And, uh, or I don't, I don't know how to handle this. And I was, uh, embarrassed and ashamed of it, uh, because, you know, my life was, I was supposedly living the dream and I felt absolutely terrible and, uh, and yeah, just didn't, didn't know what to do. So, uh, I remember going to, uh, to see my doctor um, it was either the next day or the day after, and I told her what was going on, and I said, you know, um, I I have no idea what to do, and uh, she she asked like two or three questions, and like, how are you sleeping? And and then she she said, all right, well, let's get your heart checked out at the EKG uh, or with an EKG, just to make sure everything's okay, and. Uh, and here's uh, a prescription I'm going to give you for uh, a pill that will help you sleep better. And it's like a non-addictive version of Xanax, which is how she sold me on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and she was like, it's going to help you sleep better. 
Uh, you just take one of them each night for a, a, a few nights, just like three three nights, and you'll you'll feel a lot better. I was like, no way, this is amazing, and I <laughs> I filled the prescription. I uh, you I went skipping out of the doctor's surgery, right? Yeah, yeah, I got an EKG, which was like five hundred dollars, and uh, and my heart was fine, uh, or so it said, and. I went skipping home with this prescription in my hand and I looked at it when I got home and I was like, huh, there's 30 pills in here. Uh, she said I only need three, but whatever. Okay. And I wanted to take one right then, uh, even though it was like 2 PM and I decided, uh, I used my best, my better judgment to look up this brand on Wikipedia. Okay. And and the side effects I read were startling, to say the least. It was uh, side effects include uh, depression, insomnia, uh, severe anxiety, psychosis, mm. and uh, seizures. And so I decided to start reading forums uh, like yours and, and others that, that where people were talking about how they'd taken this pill and what its effects were. And I was so disappointed because not a single person was like, yeah, this pill actually helped me overcome my anxiety. All of them were still on it. All of them were, a ton of them were addicted to it and felt like they could never get off of it. Some of them said it had destroyed their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pill was lorazepam, by the way, for anybody. And if, if anybody's on it and hears this and their heart sinks, don't worry. There are ways to wean yourself off of it. And like, you can totally overcome anxiety. I know for a fact that you can do it naturally. Um, but yeah, reading that at the time was just such a punch in the gut and it made me more paranoid because, I was like, well, if my doctor doesn't know and can't help me and is just out to make me potentially a junkie and abuse me as a customer, then I'm all alone. And yeah. that's how I felt. It's it's quite um you know, it's 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 a bit upsetting, yeah, when you go to a doctor and the only thing they offer you is prescription medication. It makes you feel like there's no other way out and if this doesn't work then I'm in serious trouble. Right. And, you know, I've, I've since learned since all this is like, you, it, no one needs pills for anything, really. Like, I, I mean, I know that's a bold statement to make, but the body can actually heal itself if you go through the proper uh, procedures and allow it to do its own thing. So listen, let's back up a little bit, though. Paint the picture of what was going on in your life up until that moment of your first panic attack. Yeah. Um, so for three years, I, or I guess it, it was technically four, I'd been working in the fast paced, high tech world in San Francisco and, um, and with a lot of tech entrepreneurs and best selling authors, um, guys like Ramit Sethi, uh, Tucker Max, and uh, specifically, I was working with Tim Ferriss for the longest, longest period of that time. For, I, we worked together for three years, and things were really, really amazing for a long time. And uh, I got in those positions. I was, I think, 23 at the, 22 or 23 when I started working for them. Um, 
by uh, offering to work with them on a trial basis for free uh, okay. because I, I wanted to just see if I could do it and it looked fun and work to me seemed like it should be something that I would have fun doing. And, uh, and I found myself in these really amazing positions. And at some point uh, of working with Tim, in my mind, it became not about doing cool stuff, uh, but more about uh, making money and being productive. And um, it, was, it was kind of at that shift where I started taking myself and my work and my life very, very seriously. And I became very intense about work. And I started working um, all the time. Like, I never disconnected from email. Mm -hmm. I would stay up real late uh, working. And then I would get up and go sit in a cafe and drink coffee all day and do the whole routine all over again. And, you know, the, my during the week, I would drink a ton of coffee and sit still and stare at screens all day. And, uh, on the weekends I would drink alcohol and do drugs with friends. Yeah. And that was my routine for, for a long time. And I thought, you know, I was awesome and I thought I was super important because I was, you know, working with this amazing guy who presented, presented me with all these incredible opportunities and introduced me to all these cool people, um, and I was getting to work on cool projects, like I got to help edit and launch a best-selling book. And, um, and, and when it really started to spiral out of control, uh, in retrospect, was when I ordered uh, nootropics, this, uh, this pill called modafinil, which the military uses to keep their fighter pilots awake for three, three days at a time. Uh, and it's prescribed to narcoleptics to prevent them from falling asleep. And I ordered it so I could be even better at my job. I didn't tell Tim that I ordered it. I didn't tell anyone that I was taking it. And, uh, and I was really good at my job when I had to organize this huge conference that we did. And, um, but so you I, seem, I you seems like you were down. just putting pressure, more and more pressure on yourself as you, so it became less fun and you, do you, would you say it was you putting the pressure on yourself? Mostly, yeah. But like, I there were stakes on the line with this conference. Yeah. I was in charge of running it, and 130 people from all over the world, who were high achieving people, had paid ten thousand dollars a piece to come to this conference. Mm -hmm. It was a lot. Yeah. It was very overwhelming, and I had never—I'd I'd thrown parties before, but I'd never organized a conference, <laughs> uh, and it's a daunting task. Of course, and so, um, and I got through it, but I did so at the expense of my health, and that was basically like something I didn't realize for years was just how much I sacrificed my health in the name of productivity and money and status mm. and uh and I just I couldn't see it because everyone around me all my friends uh and my colleagues 
they followed very similar patterns. They, they had very similar routines. No one thought what I was doing was, no one ever stopped and said, dude, you're destroying yourself. Yeah. And this then triggered after the initial panic. Well, let's say, let's say the, the drug you were taking to stay awake for the conference was the straw that broke the camel's back and it began your period of intense anxiety, panic attacks, but then it, it kind of spiraled on and on. So you had general anxiety, is that right? And panic attacks for quite a while after? Roughly. So it, I had to quit working with Tim. Like I tried to push my way through working um, on the next project. So after that conference happened, like we went on to work on the next book and I worked on that for uh, several weeks. And then, um, a family member died, a close friend attempted suicide, and then the deadline for the book got pushed back several months. And I met up with Tim uh, the next week and I just said, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm breaking and I feel it. And, uh, and I just, I'm, I'm going to be useless. So I took, I took some time off. I took, I thought I was ready to go back to work like right away mentally, but physically I was incapable. And, uh, and so I felt guilty every day that I didn't work and I took a few months off and I, tr- I just went through the motions of work. So I was like checking email constantly and, um, and then I, I went back to work. And did you find it, the idleness during that period had a negative in- impact on you? Yes, because it it was because I never allowed myself to relax ever. Mm. Like I was just, I just, I couldn't give myself permission to heal at all. Uh, and it just amplified things. So like every day in my head, I'm like, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? And, and like, just trying to figure it out while like, never sitting still and being in the moment. I was just intensely worried about the future. Uh, I was worried about what could happen if I got into an accident or if like there was a major natural disaster in San San Francisco. Like these were the kinds of things that I focused all of my time on. Mm. I was reading the news and uh, like this apocalyptic doom and gloom news, which I'm sure it, like tons of people who listen to this have, have gone down that rabbit hole, uh, which is very, very deep. And so like, I was just constantly afraid and serious and exhausted all the time. And I remember having a conversation with my girlfriend at the time one night and she was like, you're not the person I met. And what, like, why, what, what's wrong? And I just remember saying, I feel dead inside all of the time and I have no idea how to fix it. Yeah. And, um, I, I just real quick, I just a side note, I tried to reinvent myself. I tried to co-found an app startup with a few friends of mine. We did really well in the short period of time in the few months that we were working together. we launched a two and a half million dollar course in 10 days. And, uh, but I quit that too because I was still so drained. And, um, that's, that's all throughout that period. I dealt with very debilitating anxiety that just would, 
I would feel it on the surface of my face. I could feel my face like cracking and my hands were shaking and I just felt like I was about to cry all the time, but never did. Yeah. And it was really tough keeping it together for that long. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's a, there's a positive end to this story. And, and what was the turning point for you? What, what, what changed everything for you? Yeah. So I tried everything, right? For so long, I tried all the things that you would think to try to relieve stress and none of it really seemed to work for an extended period of time. It might work for a few hours. It might work um, for a few minutes and then it would be gone. And I was so frustrated. I didn't understand why these things that everybody said would work if you keep if you kept doing them, things like meditation, yoga, uh, going to a therapist, doing therapy books, doing intense exercise, doing natural diets, like all the things that you're supposed to do, I was doing them and they weren't sticking and I didn't understand why. And the breakthrough I had was when I was at my friend's, I was just looking through his bookshelf and I came across a title called Play uh, by Dr. Stuart Brown. And I read the book in one sitting and the book is mostly about like how to use play to increase creativity at work and uh, how play helps us function as human beings in our developmental stages. And it's, it's more of a scientific book, but it hit me like a brick wall, what I'd been doing wrong for so many years. Like I was chronically depriving myself of play. Even and and what I realized was like even when I did play when I was in my anxious state when I would go throw a football or something with my friends, I wasn't thinking about where I was. I was thinking about what I'd done wrong in the past or what was about to go wrong in the future. Mm-hmm. So it was never in the moment. And what the big the big turning point for me after reading that book was that. Play is not just something you do. It's not some frivolous activity. It's an essential state of mind. It's a way to approach life and to view the world. And up until then, I viewed the world as a frightening prison. Mm. And play made me remember that the world can be a loving playground. And play takes you from tiptoeing around life to leaning into it and embracing what's actually there. And so the next day after I read that book, I was like, man, I have to, I have to practice being playful again. That was the way I used to be when I was growing up. That was the way that was why I was happy all through middle school and high school and college was because I was constantly playing with my friends. I was, I was pulling pranks. I was pulling practical jokes. I was focused on making people laugh and having fun and playing team sports. Like all my best friends came from play. The reason they were my best friends is because we bonded through play and play is essential. And when I was living in San Francisco, I was isolated and I never played. I only worked and it drove me crazy. (laughs) So the next day I got an email from a friend who introduced me to his buddy. I had just moved to Austin. And, uh, I, I replied back, uh, and his friend was like, Hey, we should go grab coffee. And I replied back and I said, why don't we go play catch at the park? Like, why don't we meet doing something fun? 
And it's a lot more stimulating than sitting around and drinking caffeine. And his response was like, yes, let's do that. That sounds awesome. And so we met and we had a great time. And, uh, and it just, it was so freeing, especially when I came back from that, I just felt lighthearted and I felt better because that was the first time that I really remembered and allowed myself to relax and play and just enjoy being outdoors, being in the sun and acting like a human again. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's, you don't, we don't realize it, but like play is just what we naturally did as kids. We just naturally sought out ways to have fun and we would naturally play with other people on the playground. Like it wouldn't even be a question. There's no like, Hey, what's your name? Uh, what do you do? Oh, that sounds impressive. Well, what I do is pretty impressive too. And like this subtle (laughs) status game that everyone plays. Yeah, that's just exhausting. And it's like, why do we bond over that when we can have when we have the choice to bond over stuff that we actually love to do, activities that are fun. And you just have to give yourself that permission to view the world, to view moments in life as opportunities for you to have your own fun to be selfish about what's fun for you and to allow that back into your life because that's the way you were when you were growing up. And for me at least, and for a lot of guys I know and a lot of, a lot of women I know too, that gets shut off at some stage in life because we don't get rewarded for being playful. And the people who do get rewarded for being playful, the creatives, uh, people like, Steven Spielberg or Steve Jobs and these these people that change the world are the people who get to play for a living. They recognize that approaching everything, every moment in life as a means of having their own fun and, and creating things and, and doing things that are playful for them, uh, those are the people who have sustainable lives, I think. And you probably found just in those initial play times that you're, it was the first time your nervous system had a proper opportunity to just relax and stop being stimulated by your anxious mind. Right. So this is a way, this is the way that anybody can, can do that is to actually, a lot of people are like, how do I, how do I incorporate play into my work week? I'm so busy or what do I play? And it's really simple. You just sit down and write out all the things that you repeatedly and voluntarily did when you were young. Like no one forced these activities upon you. You love doing them. Yeah. Try them again. And for me, like one of the things I recognized when I did that exercise, and I called up a bunch of my childhood friends and talked to them about this stuff and asked them, like, do you remember what we used to do? Uh, for me, the, the thing that stood out really was I love to make people laugh. And, you know, I, at the time I was, I was working in a pretty prestigious, I was, I was working in a prestigious industry, uh, with prestigious people. Um, but my ability and my love for making people laugh 
was never really a part of that equation. Mm. And so I signed up for improv comedy, which to a lot of anxious people, that sounds like a nightmare. Um, But it was... It was honestly like one of the best things I've ever done for myself. I'm so glad I did it. I I just finished six six months of doing three hours of improv comedy every week. You've just and finished now. Yeah, I just wow. graduated. Wow. Uh, from from the entire like six levels of of improv you can do. Brilliant. And uh, it was so fun and. Does that and mean you have what, to? Do you have to finish with a show? Is there some kind of finale test? Oh yeah, we, like once you get to level three, you have to perform a showcase at the end of each level, and then at the end of level six, we had to perform three showcases, and the showcases get increasingly difficult. So uh, by the end of the sixth level, you're telling a story, so it has yeah. to have a beginning, middle, end. It has to have. Uh, an enemy it has to have a helper and all these nuances that come with you know as you get better and more refined you're you're practicing harder stuff um but that certainly sounds very good fun (laughs) right it is It, it actually really is and and the thing is is improv doesn't attract uh jerks it doesn't attract super serious people it attracts people who in general value fun and want to want to play with you, you know, like you you yeah. get together and play games and you act like an idiot. And it's great failure practice for people who are anxious. They're constantly worried about things going wrong or acting foolish or breaking down. And uh, I think improv forces you to to act stupid and be foolish. And it gets you around people who are supportive uh, when you when you mess up. And so you realize that everything's okay. And then the thing, the main thing that improv taught me was, uh, it, or reminded me of is that life is improv. Every interaction you have with, a, uh, with somebody, a cashier, a stranger, a waitress, that's an opportunity for you to play a game with them and to make them smile. Mm, it's not, like an, it's, you know, like everyone goes through the same routines of like, Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Fine. Thanks. Having a good day? Yep. <laughs> well, see you later. Yeah, and yeah. like improv snaps you out of that because all of a sudden you're saying things to people like you're starting scenes with people and saying, well, doctor, you know, I, I would appreciate if you could get through this appointment without practicing your karate, you know, and, <laughs> and it just changes how you think it, it makes you silly again yeah. and God, all of us need that. And it must, you know, it snaps people out of their, their routine as well. Catches them. Exactly. Off guard. Exactly. And it makes you laugh so hard. I remember hearing a story of uh, this guy who's, who's done improv for like six years now. He was telling the story of one of his favorite moments in improv where <laughs> this, this, you basically, it's two people going out in a scene and they pick a strong character for themselves and they don't know what the other person's coming out with, but they have to stick with that character. So one person came out and he was a father with a football and the other came out and he was a shark <laughs> and uh, the shark starts swimming around and the father says, all right, son, 
go long. And the shark just keeps swimming and he throws the football and the shark keeps swimming, doesn't react to it. And the father just puts his head down and slumps his shoulders and he says, you'll never be good at sports. <laughs> and it's just like that kind of ridiculousness that's just Reality. so much fun. Yeah. yeah. And you have, you're giving yourself a group of playmates, which keeps you sane. Like you, rec- you recognize that everybody gets anxious uh, if they don't have a group of friends that they're not spending quality time with, guilt-free fun time with. And it's so obvious, but we all forget to do it, isn't it? We forget to take it the is. time out to do it or, or, you know, we're always too busy. That's always the excuse. Exactly. And it's, and it's play, again, is not frivolous. Like, it's literally essential to your mental health. And it's essential to your life. Like, this is how you bond with people. Interactions with people should not always be you sitting around and drinking coffee with them or you getting together and drinking alcohol with them. That's, that's a horrible way to go through life. And it's, it's a way to prevent you from ever really getting to know the best side of you and the people around you. It's a way to prevent like real meaningful relationships. But play facilitates that stuff. Yeah, we're we're really in our best state, aren't we? When we're in a playful mood, you know, it's yeah. the best of us comes out, right? And who doesn't love people? I I used to be fascinated by stand-up comedians because they they were saying things that everybody else thought but was too afraid to say and would normally get punished for saying, but they everyone loved them yeah. for it and. Who doesn't love somebody who's fun, who jokes around and tries to get others to have fun too? Yeah. They're the best people to hang around. Absolutely. Yeah, we all, we, you know, as we get older, we take everything so seriously and we become so serious ourselves. It's a, it really is a problem. Right. And it was the reason I, I really wanted to interview you is because this message of play is so important. And you ended up writing a book about it called um, Play It Away, A Workaholic's mm-hmm. Cure for Anxiety. And um, that's the core message behind the book is this idea of bringing back playfulness in different ways. You in, yes. in the book, you mentioned a, oh, a couple of things that worked very well for you. Do you. Real quickly, do you want to mention what those things were? Yeah. So play was the main one. And uh, the reason that was the, the foundation is because everything before that that I tried wasn't sticking because I was always returning to my mindset of seriousness and productivity, getting back to work and making money and all these things that in the grand scheme of things don't matter at all. Right. And, or at least to your, your own health. And so the play was the main one. I had to approach life with the state of mind of play and practicing that is what ultimately set me free in just a few weeks. The other things that really worked um, that I mentioned in the book, um, let's see. So, I mean, it, to add to the play thing was making play a regular part of my schedule mm-hmm. um, is actually committing to it. I find that most people uh, say, okay, play is great. I don't have somebody to play catch with or, or whatever. Um, and my response is, 
just pay to play. Like <laughs> sign up for <laughs> sign up for a group. Yeah. Because that'll hold you accountable and the fact that you paid for it will make it somewhat financially painful if you miss it. I like that. So pay to play. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta put money on the line um and have a group that prioritizes that form of play with you. And you don't have to do stuff you don't like, but like don't sit around playing Call of Duty mm. uh and having land parties with people across the world because that's not play. Yeah. You need actual like movement. You need to get around real people and you need to get away from screens. Yeah. Um, so my favorite forms of play are like team sports. Uh, there's nothing better than playing soccer in the park or, uh, you know, bas- pick up basketball. It's great. Um, the, the other things I did a, bunch of things which I which I list in the book. I think one of the most useful exercises people can do is a thing I like to call removing your anchors. And so if you imagine you're uh you're a boat in the middle of a lake and you're trying to get to the other side, which is where your health and your happiness and calm and bliss are are located. If you try to paddle with a bunch of anchors attached to your boat, no matter how hard you paddle, those anchors are still holding you in place. So you can either keep paddling as hard as you can and frantically trying to cure your anxiety, or you can remove the things that are constantly thrusting you into a state of anxiousness. And for me, what I realized, uh, and I'll tell you the exercise in a second, but for me, two of the biggest things that I realized were giving me anxiety were the news mm-hmm. and coffee. Of course. And, yeah. Uh, and those are, and both are scientific, scientifically proven to increase fear and cortisol and stress uh, dramatically in people. And so I made a conscious effort of not only removing the news and coffee from my life, but re- replacing them with healthy alternatives. So I replaced um, the news with things that were funny. Mm-hmm. And things that were light, so uh, stand-up comedy or uh, even Pixar films. Like they, people don't realize that diet is not just what you shove into your mouth; it's also what you allow into your eyes and ears. And so you have to go on a diet where you cut out the awful stuff that makes you feel terrible every time you read it. And if that means Facebook, so be it. Take a break. Mm. And just see what it's like to go a single week without this stuff. And with coffee, I replaced that with water. I didn't replace it with tea because tea has caffeine in it. Mm -hmm. I I just replaced it with water and I felt fine. People say to me all the time, and I've taken, I I haven't drinking coffee in I think at least a month. And people say to me all the time, oh, I could never do that. Yeah, you can. You're just, you love the taste of coffee and that's fine. Coffee is delicious, but you have to recognize like no one else is going to be your doctor. No one else is going to intervene and say, hey, this stuff is messing you up. You might want to take a break. Yeah. So, um, I think at least really until you're through your anxious phase. Right. It's like, it's really important to actually recognize, sit down and think to yourself, what are the things that are actually causing you stress? 
what are the things that are like truly holding you back? Just write three to five words at a time. Is it a lack of exercise? Is it being around certain people? Um, is it your panic attacks? Like what are the things that are really amplifying your anxiety and then come up with a couple solutions on how you can eliminate those things or replace them with something better. Uh, I think that's a really important exercise is foundational. You have to eliminate as many stressors from your life as you can, uh, before you can make rapid progress. And, uh, I think the news helped me or, or hurt me for a long time because it prevented a playful state of mind. The news is really serious. It sucks. I, I recommend everybody remove the news from your life. You will be so much happier. Yeah, there's um, a real fear factor built into the news, all right. There's no incentive for them to report on anything, anything positive. Uh, it's just it's not in their financial interest, and that's it's an unfortunate business model, but it's the truth. Um, other things that helped. I spent time outdoors in the fresh air and sunshine. I'd spent at least 15 minutes a day in the sun and sitting on the ground uh, on soil like earth. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting studies on uh, the healing effects uh, and the anti-inflammatory effects of just what's quote-unquote called earthing or grounding, which is kind of a hippie-ish term, but it actually works. Yeah. Um, and an interesting one, which we were talking about before this, I, I've got a bunch of them that I list in, in the book, but an interesting one we were talking about before this interview was uh, tension-releasing exercises or yeah. trauma-releasing exercises. What, what these are, these were developed by a doctor named David Berselli, uh, and he, he noticed um, that animals – when they're captured and taken into captivity, they, they tremor, they shake. And, and animals, when they're attacked in the wild, shortly after they're attacked, they will tremor. Like their, their limbs will, will shake really rapidly. And what, what happens during that time is excess adrenaline, fear, um, fear-induced adrenaline is released, shaken out of the body. Uh, and it's shaken out and what, what humans do, children do this, they tremor as well. And if you've ever seen a dog around fireworks, you see them tremor too, mm. but adults don't do this because we get self-conscious and embarrassed of this strange function of our body. We don't want to show that we're afraid. And so People who have intense, debilitating anxiety have chronically elevated uh, stress levels, but they're also constantly in fight or flight mode. Like for me, because I was reading the news all the time, I was constantly uh, wary of what was about to go wrong and what was about to attack me. And all of these things were in my mind. They were imaginary, but the fear was very real. And so I had this chronic tension in my body. And so the, the exercises are just a series of stretches. It's kind of like yoga, um, where you just stretch for 15 or 20 minutes and they're designed to exhaust your hip flexors and, and your thighs. And 
when you do them, after you do them, you lay on the ground and you, um, you do a bridge lift where you elevate your glutes and you just lay on the ground and you just shake you, your body tremors and it, it's not, it sounds kind of scary, but it's not at all. It's actually pretty relaxing. And, uh, the first time I did it, my back and, uh, my legs and my hips shook so much. It was like, I looked like a vibrating cell phone. Mm. Um, and it released so much tension. And I remember getting up from, from doing them and feeling so relaxed and just thinking, I'm just going to lay on, on my bed for a few seconds. And I just fell into an instantaneous, really deep sleep. And I did these exercises, um, like every other day, every two or three days. And after a couple of weeks, man, I just, I had released so much tension that I didn't even realize was, was affecting me so much. And it felt so, good doing the exercises, right? Yeah. Like they don't, they don't hurt at all. They're and I think I've, I've told a couple of people about this who, who have suffered from pretty bad anxiety. And, um, like one person told me they, they only did half the exercises because they were worried about how their body would respond. And, uh, and, and I think people are afraid of what TRE will potentially do to them. Mm-hmm. I can say it's totally safe. It's not going to mess you up. Like it's, it's not harmful at all. And, uh, but do your own research if, if you think I'm wrong, but I can tell you I've done this stuff a lot of times and it's great. And, um, I have no financial interest in this method. I didn't come up with it. It's just, it helps me a lot. Great. So it's, that's called tension release exercises. Good. Yeah. It also goes by trauma releasing exercises because th- he developed it in, uh, war torn countries and mm. he developed it as a way to naturally help people with post-traumatic stress disorder. And he found that it helped veterans tremendously. And it was just a natural way of overcoming intense tension and intense trauma. Great. Well, there's some, some great tips there. Um, now, the book, again, is Play It Away, A Workaholic's Cure for Anxiety. Um, I'm really glad I had you on because I just, you know, the whole topic of play is something that I've talked about before and bringing laughter in as well, the importance of laughter to just create this distance between you and that, the anxiety, but also to give your nervous system this opportunity to relax that it just normally never gets. So, Charlie, Mm -hmm. where can people find your book? And we actually, uh, and we spoke previously. You you were going to offer the listeners something as well, isn't that right? Yes, yeah. Um, you can find my book on Amazon. Just search for "Play It Away." It's available all across the world, um, and it's also on iBooks. But if you buy a copy of the book um, and email "Play It Away." book at gmail.com email me your receipt okay i will i will give you a um, a copy of my exact daily schedule during the month that i overcame my anxiety and i will also give you compliments of mr berselli the guy who invented tre uh those series of exercises if you want to check them out 
uh, I'll send you the PDF. Um, and so you'll get those two bonuses and yeah, just for buying a copy of the book and the book is about 10 bucks. Brilliant. So again, they need to buy the book and forward the receipt to play it away book at gmail.com. Is that right? That's right. Great. Well, Charlie, thank you very much for taking time to do this interview. Um, I always love getting people on who've experienced anxiety themselves and then come up with their own solution and how they work through it. And that's exactly what you've described um, in the interview. And you also elaborate on it much more throughout the book and give people a lot more ideas and um, helpful tips on, on, on dealing with anxiety. So thank you again for taking the time. My pleasure. And uh, one more thing, Barry, for, for your listeners. I, I made the book so people could read it in one sitting. So it could be like watching a movie. So mm. it only takes a couple hours to read. It's mercifully short. Uh, so check it out. It's, it's solid. So thank you again for having me, Barry. This was really cool.